Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Well, good morning, Revelation Church. Today we're continuing our story about Joshua and the Israelites coming into the promised land. Last month, you might have seen a news item about some flooding in Australia. Uh, one young couple uh, sadly saw their house swept away by the floodwaters on what should have been their wedding day. Uh, you may have seen the footage of their uprooted three-bedroom cottage bobbing about on the Manning River after it burst its banks following some really heavy rain. The suburbs of Sydney hadn't seen flooding like that for many decades. You know, the power of flood water is incredible, but can you imagine what it would take to stop flood water coming down like that? That's exactly what God did to the flooded River Jordan in the story today, when he held the waters back so that the people could cross over to the promised land. So our Bible reading is Joshua chapter 3, verse 1 through to 17. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water, 
Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zerathon, and those flowing down towards the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the, the Jordan. Well, let's set the scene a little bit here. Joshua has clearly been told by God what is about to happen. He's giving really clear instructions. He seems to know precisely the order of things. Um, unlike 40 years before when Moses had come to the, the brink of the Red Sea and all the people were with him and the army was chasing them, at that point he didn't know until the very last minute what God was going to do. But here Joshua clearly knows the plan. The River Jordan functioned like a moat on the eastern edge of Canaan. Uh, most of the year the Jordan River was probably about 100 feet wide and somewhere between 3 to 10 feet deep. But when the Israelites crossed over it was in flood because the snows had melted from Mount Hermon and it was overflowing its banks. And during those times the river would reach a depth of something like 20 feet. And of course there were no bridges, there were no fords, and nearby, on the opposite side, stood the mighty city of Jericho. Now, some people have tried to explain the events of that day in, in a kind of natural way. Um, I mean, they suggest that some of the banks upstream may have collapsed and caused the, the river to temporarily dry up. Now, that is perfectly possible. Uh, because there have been landslips in that area which have caused the river to dry up in the past. Uh, there's one example that's well documented that happened in 1927 in exactly the same place. The riverbank collapsed, it blocked the flow of the Jordan for over 21 hours. But even if those theories are right, how do you explain the miraculous timing? Of course a more straightforward explanation is that God is almighty He's all-powerful and he's able to intervene and push back the waters. It's as if that mighty river wasn't able to resist the power of God. And that's certainly the explanation that the Bible gives in Psalm 114 and verse 5, where it says, Why was it sea that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? And then two verses later it says, Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. You know, when the presence of God is there, who can stand against it? When the presence of God draws near, who can resist? So the moment the priest stepped into the water holding the Ark of the Covenant, the river dried up. The water went back about 16 miles or so to a place called Adam and piled up there. And in the other direction, the water flowed out into uh, the Dead Sea, or the Salt Sea, as it said in the reading. The riverbed stayed dry long enough for all of the Israelites to cross over, and nobody knows exactly how many people there were, but some estimates go as high as two million people. So it must have been dry for many, many hours in order to enable all of those people to pass over.
Now the priests were carrying something called the Ark of the Covenant, uh, not to be confused with Noah's Ark, uh, which is a much bigger structure. This was a box containing the Ten Commandments, the golden pot of manna, and Aaron's staff, and it represented the very presence of God. The old commentator Matthew Henry said, it seems the pillar of cloud and fire was removed, else that would have led them, unless we suppose that it now hovered over the ark, and so they had a double guide. Well, whether or not the pillar of fire and cloud was still leading them, we know that God's presence was there because it was represented by the Ark of the Covenant. This was an awesome time. The people were told to stay 2,000 cubits away. Um, where, if you remember, we were told in Exodus 19 that the people had to stay away from the mountain when Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments, otherwise they would die. And the implication of chapter four, of verse four, sorry, is that if they came too close to the ark, it would be, mean divine punishment. So the people were kept at that distance. That's about a thousand yards or 900 meters. That's some serious social distancing right there. And so that's the scene. And this story obviously has parallels to the crossing of the Red Sea when the people came out of Egypt about 40 years before. Uh, as they cross now the Jordan into the promised land, Joshua's leadership will be affirmed. In verse 7, God says he will be with Joshua as he was with Moses. And so this comparable miracle is deliberate on God's part. It's designed to give the people confidence that they have the right leader in place, the right person to replace Moses. David Pawson puts it succinctly. He says the miracle enabled the crossing, but also had an additional purpose. Many of the new generation of people who entered the land with Joshua had not witnessed the miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea. God wanted his people to see his mighty power and to have confidence in the leadership of Joshua as he led them against the Canaanites and into the promised land. God was with him just as he'd been with Moses. So that gives us an idea of the scene. That's what you would have been watching if there had been uh, TV reporters there to tell you the news. But what does the story say to us today? Well, there's two things I really want to focus on. The first is the miracle of salvation. And secondly, the importance of baptism. So what about the miracle of salvation, first of all? I think this is a fantastic picture of what happens in salvation. Now, I might be pressing the text a little bit far here. I, you probably won't read this in any commentaries, but you know, I couldn't help feeling that there was something significant about the waters piling up at this place called Adam and then flowing all the way through to the Dead Sea. Because in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul presents this idea of being in Adam or in Christ. Um, Adam's sin results in condemnation for all people, but Jesus' obedience resulted in justification for all who believe in him. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, Paul summed it up like this, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. 
And so the, the River Jordan flows from Adam to its natural destination, the Dead Sea. And in a similar way, when we're in Adam, the inevitable end point of our earthly journey is death, the Dead Sea, if you like. We're helpless to change the flow of uh, our lives, the course of our lives, like a, like a torrent, like a flash flood that sweeps everything away in its path. We are helpless to do anything about it. Uh, we saw that picture earlier of the, the flood that swept away the house in Australia. I'm sure we've seen similar footage uh, in maybe other situations around the world. But once the floodwaters are flowing, nothing's going to stand in their way. If you're in the way of the floodwaters, you have no hope of surviving. And before we put our faith in Jesus, it's inevitable that the end point of our journey is death. But Jesus interrupts that outcome at the cross. He enables us to walk through the waters rather than being swept downstream to that place of stagnation and death. Instead of being swept aside, we're able to pass through to the promised land. Instead of the Ark of the Covenant representing the presence of God, we now have this incarnate saviour, Jesus, who turns back the wrath of God at the cross. Without him, the waters of judgment will overwhelm us, but we can pass through safely into new life. It's an astonishing picture of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The Ark of the Covenant, of course, pointed towards someone greater that would come and embody its contents. The Ten Commandments representing the law, Aaron's staff representing authority, and the manner which pointed towards the bread of life. Jesus embodies those things and the Israelites had to keep a healthy distance from the Ark of the Covenant. But now, according to Hebrews 10.22, we are able to draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. It's a picture which points towards something greater. And our salvation is only possible then because of the work of Jesus on the cross. So if you don't believe in Jesus, if you haven't actively put your faith in him, I just want to urge you, don't hesitate, because the alternative is that you just get swept away to inevitable death and separation from God. You're swept away downstream as inevitably as a person will be swept away by floodwaters. The miracle of salvation. Second theme in this story is the importance of baptism. Because 40 years earlier, Moses and the Israelites were saved when they passed through the waters of the Red Sea. And that story speaks to us of salvation and baptism. They were saved from the oppression of the Egyptians. They, they, they were freed from slavery in Egypt and they entered into a new life. And here again, we have a very similar picture of people walking through water or through what was water to get into the promised land. It's a picture of baptism. And of course, many centuries later, Jesus himself was baptised in the River Jordan. In fact, he was baptised in almost exactly the same spot that the Israelites passed through to get into the Promised Land. Matthew Henry wrote, Some have observed that it was at the banks of Jordan that God began to magnify Joshua. And at the same place, he began to magnify our Lord Jesus as mediator. For John was baptising at Bethabara, the house of passage, and there it was, when our Saviour was baptised, it was proclaimed concerning him, This is my beloved Son.
So almost exactly the same spot where they crossed over was where Jesus was baptised. So this story clearly speaks to us about baptism. They went through the waters into the land that God had promised them and when we become Christians we pass through the waters of baptism and we begin to inherit something of God's promises. But it would be a mistake to think that once you've been baptised all your troubles will be over and you're going to live happily ever after. Far from it. When we go through the waters of baptism uh, we're, we're expressing outwardly what has happened inwardly for us. Uh, we've been fundamentally transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And being a Christian and not being baptised is a little bit like the Israelites staying on the other side of the Jordan and never, never moving forward to inherit the land. Um, is life straightforward once you've become a Christian, once you've been baptised? Do you get baptised and live happily ever afterwards? Well, not quite, because just in the same way that the Israelites went into the promised land and then had to uh, have many battles to establish themselves in the land, believers also uh, face many spiritual battles from the moment they become Christians, but especially once they've moved forward through the waters of baptism. I'm not sure the enemy is quite so bothered about Christians that just kind of stay back and you know, on the other side of the water, as it were, do their own thing, probably don't join a church, uh, don't get baptised, not really filled with the Spirit, not, not that engaged with the Bible or prayer. But I think he's very bothered about those that do get baptised, join churches and push forwards in seeing the kingdom of God come and trying to proclaim the good news. Those are battles, that's when the battle starts. And it's a real battlefield for every believer who truly wants to follow God. So the story talks to us about the miracle of salvation and the importance of baptism. The Israelites were following the cloud and the pillar of fire, or now the Ark of the Covenant, as it went before them. God led the way, the people followed. And, you know, as a church, that's what we're trying to do in our present situation. When we're not wanting to run ahead of God, we're trying to wait for him to show us the next step. And because of the cross, we can come near to him. We can draw close to him and we need to stay close to God so that we know the way to go because we have not passed this way before, as it says in this text in Joshua 3. We don't know exactly where God's going to take us as yet, but we should stay close to him. We need to stay close to him and trust him that he'll show us exactly what the next steps are and take us into our own version of the promised land. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this wonderful picture of salvation and baptism in Joshua chapter 3. Lord, thank you that as a story it's, it is extraordinary and uh, it's a, a miracle the way that the water's piled up and the timing of it and uh, the, the fact that it's the water stays, stayed piled up for so long so that everybody could cross over safely. Uh, but Lord, it speaks to us and points to a greater reality. And we thank you that Jesus is uh, the greater Ark of, of the Covenant, the, the one who is greater than what was being represented here in this story. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to uh, value what you've done for us uh, in salvation. Uh, help us to be obedient, to go through the waters of baptism and also to uh, follow after you and to follow your lead rather than rush ahead of you. Lord, we commit this uh, 
the coming months to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great morning together.